Welcome to a beautiful day here in central Indiana. Glad you made it out. Glad you didn't freeze. Glad your fingers are all still attached. It's a cold day, so let's warm up a little bit uh, with a good day. I'll tell you a story. This will make you warm up or make you gag. Um, so one of the things I love about like the time between the holidays is I get to spend some time in Illinois with family. So got to go over to Illinois. Uh, this wasn't this year. It was actually a couple years ago, but we did the same thing. And got to go to lunch with my dad. So my dad um, is one of those like typical dads. Like he's the un- undisclosed governor of like a small little community. So he goes into the local diner in a little tiny town and everybody knows him. So we sit down at the table and the waitress knows him really well, brings him a drink and gets my drink on her, sets it down. We place our orders. And in the process, like every single person that walks in knows my dad. So he's constantly like turning around, talking to everybody. And I'm like, why did I come to lunch if you're going to talk to everybody? So we're talking, have a conversation. And, and in the process, he drinks all of his drink and the waitress knows him so well. So she's already got a refill, brings the cup over, sets it down. He doesn't acknowledge, doesn't turn around. He's still talking to someone else. And I'm just a bystander watching. And then she pauses, and she does something that I've never seen before. Maybe you've seen this before. I've never seen this before. She reaches down as though they're, like, short on cups in the back in the back and, and doesn't just grab his straw, but, like, reaches down in like she's picking up a heavy weight and doesn't just, like, drop it in the new cup. Like, she, she, she didn't drop it on the floor. That would have been embarrassing. But she takes it and, like, goes snorkeling with it, like, goes down below, makes sure it gets all the way to the bottom, and then pulls her hand off of it and takes the other cup away. And I'm not speechless very often, but I was just like, like I'm confronted with two thoughts. Number one, I don't know where your hand has been. And I'm not a whole lot of a germaphobe, but the whole fact of like you snorkeling in the new soda was just confused me. And the second thought is, am I obligated by a father-son privilege? Am I obligated to tell my dad what just happened? And the fact that he kept talking to other people kind of led me to believe I didn't need to. So dad, if you're watching today, my apologies, you drank, whatever. Okay, moving on. Which brings me to the question I want to ask today. It's a question we'll revolve around the rest of the time together. Where are your boundaries? Like, that was a boundary I never anticipated a waitress would cross. And she crossed the boundary. Where are your boundaries? Like, if you're a mom, let's say you're a mom of a toddler, and you get to church on a Sunday morning like today, and we're all bundled up, and we gather the kid in, and all you see is a little bit of their face, and you take them to the classroom, and you get them unpacked, and you get all the scarves and hats and gloves off, and you hang them up. And then you realize, like, there's some breakfast debris still on their cheek. Are you a thumb scrubber? Like, come here, little guy. Or you're like, hey, let's walk to the bathroom and let's get a paper towel and let's wash this off politely. Like, which one are you? You have a boundary, right? Okay, you thumb scrubbers. Let's say you walked in with your 17-year-old. Are you still a thumb scrubber or do you have a boundary? Or maybe if you're a 17-year-old, like, yeah, I got a boundary, mom, back up. Like, where are you? When you go to lunch, like you sit down at the restaurant and you're like, I know what I'm craving. I don't care how much it costs and I want bacon and mushrooms and cheese on top. Let's go. Or you're one of those people like, oh, man. This is a pricey place. Uh, excuse me, waiter, do you, do you have any, like, uh, maybe slightly expired food in the back I could get a discount on? Like, we all have boundaries. We all have lots of boundaries. In fact, we have so many boundaries, but oftentimes we don't think about our boundaries. We just kind of allow them to find their place. And because they find their place, if we're being honest, in this series where we talk about moving from here to there, if we don't have the right boundaries in place, maybe you've been here before, you started here, headed for there, wound up here. Well, I'll just assure you that one of the reasons we do is because we don't put the boundaries in place to keep us on the path that God has set before us. So how do we establish boundaries? How do we recognize boundaries? How do we put boundaries in place? I'll be honest, most of the boundaries we have have been there so long we don't even pay attention to them anymore. But I'll start right here where I left off last week, but nothing worth doing is ever easy. And one of the tough conversations to have with ourselves as followers of Christ is where do I need to shore up some boundaries in my life to assure that I'm on the path, I'm on the road to get from here to there? 
And if we're going to get there, I can promise it, it requires boundaries to know. So we're in this, this series, and we're in the middle of the series. We're also in the middle of a time of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is setting aside some time that we can seek the Lord, listen to him to make sure that the there we're headed to is actually the there that God has ordained. It's the, it's the there that God has placed before us. It's, it's where God wants me to be at the end of the week. And it's where God wants me to be at the end of the month. And it's where God wants me to be at the end of the year. And one of these intentional moments that we start our year off of seeking God, of fasting, of cutting something out that requires time or energy or something, some part of us that we can spend that time seeking him to find where there is. Last week, we talked about putting holy habits in place, those repetitive things, those actions that we do as followers to become more and more like Christ, to get to the there that God has for us. And even though we rarely talk about it, we're never going to get there until we've established boundaries that keep us on the road. Boundaries, if you're taking notes, I, I like to define like this. It's the intentional markers and or the notifications that keep us from getting off of the road to there. The simple things that we put in place. And here's why. We have a spiritual enemy who would love nothing more than to come along somewhere in this spiritual journey and knock you into the ditch or knock you into the, the lane of oncoming traffic in this journey from here to there. And if we're not aware of that attack and we're not aware and intentional about putting boundaries in place to prevent that from happening, we will always end up running off of the narrow road into the ditch. Boundaries are a good thing. Now, contrary to the culture we live in, boundaries are very beneficial. And in a time and a place where everybody says, you just do whatever you wanna do, God gives us incredible spiritual, physical, and emotional boundaries. In fact, boundaries have been part of God's plan since the beginning, if you know the story. Clear back in the very beginning of Adam and Eve, when God establishes this incredible garden and gives Adam and Eve all the rain over the garden they want, he says, you can eat the fruit of any tree, just don't eat the fruit of that tree. You put a boundary in place. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you've crossed out of bounds. Later, God would establish a covenant between him and his people, and part of his covenant was so many layers of boundaries. One layer of, there are seven days in the week, and six days of the week, you can do whatever you wish. You can work, you can have fun, you can cook and clean and do all the things, but one day a week, you need to pause for the Lord, and that's the day of rest. And the Old Testament explains one of my favorite passages. It talks about the, the journey where, where God raised up Moses and takes him into the land of Egypt to bring all of God's people who have been taken as captives of slave for centuries and lead them out into the freedom that God had in store for them to the promised land ahead. So Moses is the leader that he takes up and Moses leads all these people out and speculation of maybe millions of people that Moses leads out of slavery into the wilderness to find the promised land that God had given for them. And God has this moment where he gets a little upset with Moses, uh, Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 10. So Moses, being the point person, being the sole leader, he heard all the families standing in their doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Now, not just angry because all of the people were whining and complaining, but angry at the fact that Moses was trying to address all of the problems on his own. I mean, for all this time, God has led them out of slavery, led them into freedom, uh, led them into provision where he was providing food for them every single day. And how did they respond? By complaining. So God gets angry, but he also gets angry in the fact that Moses was trying to accomplish this all on his own. So we read later down there in verse 16, he says, then the Lord says to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you, and I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that's upon you, and I will put that spirit upon them also. And they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you won't have to carry it alone. 
It's an incredible passage of God putting boundaries in place when Moses did not put any boundaries in place, of Moses trying to lead all these people on his own, and it's not being healthy for him and not being healthy for them, and God says, listen, this is what we need to do. God establishes boundaries in our life to keep us safe, to keep us productive, to keep us from burning out. And as I'm thinking this week, like, of a visual, the the best visual I think I can come up with is if you're driving down a two-lane highway, and, and you've got lanes, and you've got, like, divider lines and lanes on the outside, and you've got some rumble strips, Our spiritual boundaries are kind of like our rumble strips, right? We're on the road to where God's taking us, to the there, but we've got some rumble strips on the side and some rumble strips that divide the lanes to remind us when we're starting to approach going off-road. You see, they're on the good part of the road. If we put them in the bad part of the road, if we put the rumble strips down in the ditch, they wouldn't do us any good because we'd already do the damage before we got to them. Instead, the rumble strips are in a safe part of the road, a safe place in the road, but to where we can recognize the notifications and the alarms that says you're about to enter dangerous territory. These rumble strips, these boundaries, these notification and markers, they're they're informing us that you've drifted afar, that you've drifted off the path, that you're drifting into a place that's no longer safe. It's an alarm that should sound in our conscience, in in, in our inner being, that the Holy Spirit is trying to remind us and convict us, you're about to leave the path that God has got before you. You're about to wind up in the ditch or approaching oncoming traffic. These boundaries, these lane stripes or these rumble strips, you don't wanna take your car off road. It wasn't made for that. So instead we put these in place so that we know that we get the notification, this is where we're going. And to be honest, like one of the most clear boundaries I believe God gives us is found in Proverbs chapter four. It's a simple yet profound statement. Proverbs 4 and 23. Guard your heart above all else. And there's some power in that. Like you, you do a lot of things. You stay real busy, but above all of that, guard your heart. Maybe last week you got real motivated to put some holy habits in place and you started doing these and you're really working at them and they're difficult because nothing worth doing is ever easy and you're, you're straining to get these holy habits in place and those are great, but above all that, guard your heart. Why? For it determines the course of your life. And that is a powerful little statement just to weave right into the scripture. That word heart in the Hebrew is pronounced lav or lave. It's, it describes your heart, your soul, the conscious inside of us. It's the part of our moral code that establishes our moral code. It's the, the, the place where our emotions and our passions kind of come up from. God says, guard that. Now, now that's not the vehicle to get you there. Your heart is not the car that you get in to get from here to there. It's not the fuel that drives you there. Your heart is not the motivation and inspiration to get you there. But how many of us know somebody who was doing really well? Maybe it was ourselves. And then our emotions got out of control. And then we got real angry. Then we got real greedy. Then we got real jealous. And all of a sudden we look back and we thought we were going from here to there, but we wound up way over here. Why? Because our heart got misaligned. Because our heart drifted out of the path that God that established ahead of us. How did I get here? You ever got to the end of a week, end of a month, end of a year? How did I get here? We didn't put the right boundaries in place. We didn't pay attention to the boundaries that we established and we drifted way over here. My heart, my passions, my emotions, my conscience, they play such a big part in staying on the path from here to there. Now, just like last week, my job is not up here today and to give you a list of boundaries that you need to put in place. I believe that many of us can have similar boundaries. I think we'll have a lot to cross over, but I believe the conversation about boundaries each one of us need to have comes from reading scripture and from a conversation with the Holy Spirit. So that's my prayer, is that we just talk through the importance of them, how we install them and establish them, 
But you and God spend some time during this time of prayer and fasting to see this is the boundary that I need to put in place and where. So we'll just talk through three basic concepts today. Now we're gonna go simple, ready? B is for boundary. Number one, be really. Now, this isn't the Be Real app because the Be Real app is fake. Have you ever, if you know a young person and they have the app where they take the Be Real pictures, it's a scam. It's supposed to be like be real and authentic right now except for let me take it 47 times and get my hairs just right and my pose just right and my leg just right. Nobody stands like that in real life. So I changed it to be really because really is the question that I often ask myself to make sure I get down to the foundation levels of truth. For example, why'd you get a bad rate on that quiz? Because the professor did not teach me all the things I needed to know. Really? Maybe I waited till it was too late to start studying. Maybe I had a question about that one particular part, but I was too embarrassed to ask anything. That, that's really why. What, why do you get so angry at that person? Why did you blow up? Why did you lose your cool with them? Because I'm tired of telling my kids over and over again to do the same things. Really? Is that really why you're mad? Well, really, I had a bad day at work, and I didn't get as much done as I wanted to, and I couldn't. So I let it all build up, and then I got home, and my kid couldn't fire me, so I let them have it. Why, how'd you get so much in debt? Because I don't get paid enough. How'd you get so much in debt? Government, 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 government. It's the government's fault. Really? I, I live in a neighborhood where I'm one of the lower incomes, and I'm trying to keep up with the people next to me. And I got in debt because I have trouble saying no to things that make me look better. Really? really is a tough question. But if we're going to get from here to there, we can't keep making excuses about why we're where we are. If we're going to get from here to there, we have to have a real honest conversation on a consistent basis to ask myself, why do I feel the way I feel really? How did I get here really? Why, why did I blow up like that? Why did I lose my cool like that? Why did I get so hot-headed like that? Well, because they made me mad. Can we just confess? Really? People can't make you mad. Nobody has the ability to make you anything. When we hand over control of our emotions to other people, when we allow people to get under our skin, when, when we let people frustrate me, then we get mad, but that's still a result of us handing control of our emotions over to them. If I'm being honest about where most of my anger comes from, it's that I handed control of my emotions over to other people. And can I just assure you that if we are here headed for there and we hand over control of our emotions and how we feel, we will never get there. We'll wind up somewhere far, far away. We gotta be real. I gotta get to that gut level honesty. If I'm gonna get from here to there, I have to be able to ask questions of myself without making excuses about the results, without making excuses to justify why it's okay. I love how Paul explains it. Ephesians chapter four, Paul is writing to mature believers and he's expanding upon like, this is how you reveal your maturity. This is how people will know. And even to the point of, this is how the church matures. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 14, he says, then we followers of Christ will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced by people trying to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. If we don't have boundaries in place, we will always drift towards whatever sounds clever. I love Twitter. I love the short, concise, little one or two sentence liners that just stick in your memory. But there is so much corruption that's happened in that platform and many other platforms that sounds so good it must be real. Just follow your heart until you run people over and don't care about how much damage you've done in the wake. Just do whatever makes you happy. 
oh, that sounds good. Let me just steer right over into this ditch for a minute. And if we don't put boundaries in place on what we believe to be true, we will always drift to whatever sounds clever and the lies that were presented that just sounds good. Maturity requires boundaries. Boundaries keep us from being influenced and tossed and blown around by ever clever teaching. Instead, Paul says, speak the truth in love. When, when I have good boundaries, we can speak the truth in love. And I'll be honest, we talk a lot around here about speaking the truth in love to others, but if we can pause for today and recognize that I also sometimes, always need to speak the truth to myself with love. That it's my responsibility as I mature in my faith and in my life to be willing to speak the truth, to ask the hard questions, to find out the really in love. And if I can't answer really in my life, I'm never gonna get there. Number two, be clear and simple. Make your boundaries clear and simple. My youngest daughter, Adley, and I, we were driving down to a basketball game this week. We went to a really nice gymnasium, really nice parking lot. It's one of those fancy parking lots where like at the end, the bookends of like all the rows of parking spots are those little fancy concrete curbs. But we got there right at sunset. And at sunset, the concrete and the asphalt look the same. And I'm in a little bit of a hurry. So I go to like square up the truck to park and to pull in and drove right over one of those boundaries. Adley's like, Dad, what have you done? And like any real man would, I've committed to this decision. I kept driving and pulled the back wheel right over the curb too. Why? The boundary wasn't clear. Like paint that thing yellow or make it glow in the dark or something. But at the end of the day, I can't blame other people for it. I just gotta be willing to see what I didn't. Duke University did a study a few years ago and they found that 40% of every decision you make is the result of a habit you already have in place. For example, when you got up this morning, did you have to think about how you start putting the toothpaste on your toothbrush? Do you start from the front and pull it to the back? Do you start the back, put it to the front? Do you squeeze it in the middle and just let it bubble up all over the place? Did you have to think about that or did your habit make the decision for you? Are you one of those people that when you put the toothpaste on, you start at the back and you squeeze it towards the front of the tube so that it all comes out? Are you one of those psychopaths who squeeze it right in the middle? You made a decision that you didn't even think about because of the habits that you already have in place. Nearly half of the decisions that we make every day are by default because of the habits that we already have established. Which leg goes first in your jeans? Which armpits get washed first in your shower? Now, boundaries are important for lots of reasons, and one of which are boundaries help us to establish the habits that help us to become more like Jesus. I love how Paul explains it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. He says, be on guard. What's he saying? Put boundaries in place. Establish boundaries in your life. Then he gives us some examples. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Be on guard. It's a repetitive theme in the scriptures. Be on guard. Put boundaries in place to guard your heart above all else, to guard your morals, to guard your physical body, to guard your emotions. Stand firm in the faith. What happens when we stand firm? We don't get tossed around and blown around by every new teaching or every clever influencer. Be courageous. Can I just offer this? The world wants us to believe that boundaries are a sign of weakness. Boundaries are a sign of courage and strength. Boundaries don't make you soft and scared. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Now, today is a different story because today it's windy, it's cold. You first got out of the house. I don't know how slick the roads are and I certainly don't wanna be stuck in a ditch when it's this cold. So you probably, I'm assuming, no one pushed the boundaries of the, the speed limits, right? We got some police officers in the room. So I, I never speed, but when it's dry out and sunny out and warm out, I get right up to that speed limit. Why? Because I'm confident that I'm not gonna slide off of the road. 
The more confident you are in the boundaries you put in place, the more aggressive you can pursue Jesus. The more confident you are about the boundaries you've established that you won't go into the ditch or go into oncoming traffic, the more passionate you can pursue, pursue sharing your faith, the more strong you can be in your faith. Be strong and courageous and do everything in love. Do everything motivated by love. That doesn't just mean do the things that we enjoy doing motivated in love. That doesn't just mean do everything you're comfortable with with love. Love doesn't exempt us from doing hard things. Love doesn't excuse us from having hard conversations. It just means in the hard times and in the hard conversations, wrap them with love before you begin. Moses, in his opinion, was leading with love, but clearly wasn't doing a good job of it and displeased the Lord as he did it. Our faith, it compels us to do all things with love, that I should love everyone. Now, Jesus was incredible. He set an incredible example for us about how to love. We, we can rest assured that Jesus loved all 12 of his disciples equally, but he didn't spend equal time with all of them. He didn't give equal access to all of them. He didn't give equal responsibilities to all of them. But Moses, if you think about the story, Moses was doing all of these things, and when God said, enough, he said, bring me 70 people to share the load that you were carrying. What was Moses really accomplishing, and to what level could he really do it well if it took 70 fellas to do what God needed him to do? If you're doing too much, put some boundaries in place. Now, pause. That does not mean you go home tonight and be like, I ain't doing no dishes or laundry or shoveling snow because pastor said you're doing too much. No. It means establish some people around you that you can delegate things to and raise up some leaders around you and, and give your kids some responsibility to bring them into being a contributing young adult in your home and later in their life. Putting boundaries in place means putting you in a place where you're a healthier person, a healthier spouse, and a healthier parent, and a healthier employee. Because I, I believe that sometimes God being the gentleman that he is, he'll just simply wait back and wait for you to burn out so you'll finally come to him and ask for help with an open heart. God doesn't want you to burn out, but if you're not gonna listen anyway, he's the perfect gentleman, content to wait. Make your boundaries clear and simple. I believe that God has given us really clear and simple boundaries to put in place for our emotions. I'll call them our emotional rumble strips, the things that we can put in place. Now, for you and me, maybe definitely for me, sometimes at the Smith House, we turn the radio up so loud, you might get off on the rumble strip and it just sounds like you're beatboxing to the radio, like, mm, 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 mm. like, oh, that's a good jam, Dad, okay. And sometimes maybe the car gets out of whack or alignment, maybe you get some normal vibrations that have just not really been normal, but to you, because your car's been overworked and overrun, it sounds normal and you miss the warning signs. And if we can't separate out what's normal from the warnings, we'll always drift into the ditch. Three emotional rumble strips I wanna talk about. The first one is our anger. When we feel the emotion of anger, when we, when we sense that there's an outburst brewing and it's about to lash out on someone, when we, when we sense the blood pressure is rising, it should be an indication from the Holy Spirit saying, you need to figure out what's going on. You need to step away from this situation. You need to regain control of your emotions because you're about to venture off the path that God has got in front of you. Our tendency is we wait until someone else says something like, why are you so short-fused? Why'd you bite their head off? Why were you being so mean to them? Why are you so short-tempered today? Our tendency is that we want someone else to recognize it for us, but what would happen if we could be mature enough in our faith and in our life to recognize my blood pressure's getting a little bubbly. I'm getting a little anxious and anxiety towards like I'm gonna respond in a way that maybe something I can't unsay or something I can't undo. And before I get off into the ditch of anger, I'm gonna ask my question, why do I feel like this really? 
Why have I been short with them? Why am I so easily agitated? Why, why am I so easily frustrated? And let me address this before I blow up and go out of bounds. The second one is greed. Greed is a tough one because we are so qualified at finding greed in other people and not so much in ourselves. Greed is the emotion of, I've worked hard for this, this belongs to me, since this is mine, I can do whatever I want to because I deserve this. Greed is the emotion of everything that I have has been given to me for my enjoyment. Greed is my way of saying, this is all for me and not very much really is for you. I mean, you didn't really work to earn it. And really the kind of the scale for greed that's bubbling up inside of me or when I get into the rumble strips of greed in my heart are thoughts like, well, as bad as I feel for them, I still like my stuff better. And as much as I wanna help them, I don't wanna rob for me to give to them. And if I was to put them on a scale, like my feeling bad for you is clearly outweighed by my feeling of me getting whatever I wanna keep. And if I don't sense that, if I don't feel that, I'm always gonna swerve off into the ditch of greed. Greed can be about my money or about my time, about my effort, about my energy. Greed tells me, it really simplifies, it says, I I love me and my stuff more than I like you. The third one is envy. When when I hear the rumble strips of envy, it's, I I want what you have. How come I don't get to have what what you have? I I want some of that, I want all of that. Why, Why can't my life be more like yours? Why can't my spouse be more like yours? Why can't my kids be more like yours? Or maybe we talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe deep down that secret conversation we have, why can't bad things happen to you so I look better? Why can't bad things happen to you so I feel better? I wouldn't be offended at all if you got hurt, if you got fired, if you lost a bunch of money. I would feel better about myself. We don't say that out loud, but man, that ought to be a warning going off in our heart. We're sliding down into the ditch of greed and envy. I wish they could just get a taste of how hard my life, I wish they could understand what it's like to live with my spouse and my kids. Don't get off in the ditch. Because none of those, anger on that level, Greed, envy, none of those will ever get you to there. It'll get you somewhere, but it'll never get you to the place that God has established for you to go. Which brings us to number three. Be quick to get back on the road. When that emotion or that feeling or that passion continues just to bubble up on the inside of us. Maybe this is you, maybe this is somebody you know. You ever know anybody? have a relationship just blown apart because at some point all of those feelings they were harboring blew up and came out of their mouth and just tore the relationship apart, found its way out of your mouth. You know anybody that's maybe ever lost a job because they just let that bitterness and resentment just build? I didn't get that promotion. I didn't get that raise. And eventually it bubbled up so long that they just word vomited all over their boss or all over a coworker and now they don't even have a job. If I don't put boundaries in my life, if I don't listen to the warning rumble strips in my life, then I'm gonna run right off the edge of the road, right into the ditch and never get to there. Every time the warning goes off, every time the notification goes off, something's out of alignment. Something has caused me to drift. Something has brought me out of balance. Something has corrupted my heart and I'm never gonna get from here to there until I get back on track. And when I don't recognize the alarm, if I don't recognize the sound, if I don't hear the rumble strips, if I don't acknowledge that I'm feeling a certain way really, then every time I rub up against that on the inside, every time I feel that way on the inside, at some point if I don't deal with it, it will always reveal itself on the outside. And not only am I hurting myself, and not only am I running into oncoming traffic and hurting somebody else, but I'll find myself offending God. 
Not because God is hypersensitive and not because God is so emotional that when I do something, I hurt his feelings, but because God loves the person that I hurt just as much as he loves me. Be quick to correct. Be quick to course correct. Colossians chapter three, Paul explains it like this. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, it's kind of a repeating theme. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all in perfect harmony. Clothe yourself. If you think about it in context of last week, it's consistently putting this on. It's making holy habits of show mercy. Holy habits of respond in kindness. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. Making allowances for each other's faults. Now this word in the Greek, this word for, for people, it's, it's, it's heyatu is how it was said. Heyatu doesn't just mean for other people, for those people. It means for all people. Let me just pause for a minute because I think somebody needs to hear this. If you've been in a rut of thinking, but I can never get there because I've messed up too much. And I've been trying to get from here to there, but I keep finding myself going backwards instead of forwards. And every time I look back to see if I'm closer to there, I feel like I'm farther away. My my past is too shady. I've messed up. I've done too many things. And you start to believe the lie of the enemy that you'll never get from here to there. It sounds like the rumble strips of you're a failure. God can't forgive that. You're a loser. Just give up. You're too far gone. You never get it right. Can I just plead with you right now? Stop believing the lie of the enemy and recognize that God made a way that you can always get back on track on his journey, on his road. It might look different. The scenery might look different. But if you're still following Jesus and putting boundaries in place to chase after him, you will always get to the there that God has for you. Listen, this is not an excuse. Look, have grace for yourself. Have, have mercy for yourselves. Don't let go of the fault you have with yourself. It's not an excuse for don't ever try to get better. It's not an excuse for just keep doing whatever you want because God will forgive you. It's not an excuse for you don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction trying to transform you. It's simply reminding us that God is bigger than your failures, that God is bigger than your past and your past hurts, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of our great God. And it's a promise that God in his tenderhearted mercy and grace, that even though we've made a mistake and even though we all fall short, our God makes a way to get you there. Don't believe the lie. We all have faults. I have faults. You have faults. Make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive those who offend you. Why? Because Jesus forgave you. You have to forgive others. And if we know that the end game to offense is that I'm going to forgive, why would I wait around and draw it out? I understand that it's not easy to forgive, but nothing worth doing ever is. And when you know I gotta forgive you at some point anyway, I might as well start working on it right now because it's never gonna get me to there. It takes you off road. So what do we do when we bump into the ditch of anger? We forgive. We make allowances for others' faults and for our own faults. What do we do when we get off in the ditch and rub up against the ditch of greed? You know how to fix the rub Greed, be generous. When you feel your heart starting to drift towards greed, be generous. If you, if you wanna prevent greed prevention, you wanna prevent yourself from becoming a greedy person, be generous consistently. 
you want to overcome a heart of greed, if you want to overcome the feelings of trying to be incredibly greedy, don't go in your closet, find the sweater you haven't worn in five years that doesn't fit anymore and give it away. Find something that you value and give that away. I didn't say find someone that you value and give them away. Some of y'all are like, I just figured out how to solve the problem of anger and greed. I'll give away a teenager. It's not what I'm talking about. But if you give away something that you value, your heart will soften and redirect back towards the path that God's got for you. And the flip side is you might realize if you struggle to give away the thing that you value, the money, the time, the energy that you value, you might find that that stuff has you more than you have it. You wanna get past the nudge, the emotion of envy. You rub up against envy. I wish I had that. I wish I had them. I wish my life was that easy. I wish my highlight reel was as good as their highlight reel instead of my reality. Can I just offer how you get back into the road, into the path when envy is pulling you into the ditch? Stop comparing. Stop comparing what you have to what somebody else has. Stop comparing your journey to their journey. Stop comparing what you don't and they do. In our house, we have one rule about comparing. Don't compare unless you're making sure somebody else has enough. That's the boundary we put in place because any other time I compare how they look to I look, what they have to I have, what they got to do that I didn't get to do, it always takes you off the road. Well, what do you do, Pastor? What do you do when they have more than you? God, I'm grateful for what you've given me. Well, what about when their life seems easier than mine? Jesus, I'm so thankful that you've never left my side. Well, what about when my life is upside down and their life looks like a highlight reel? God, I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus and his promise to us was even though we would experience many trials and sorrows, he will never leave us and we can know his peace in all times. I'll give you the antidote for, for envy, the antidote for, for feeling like you're in comparison. Be grateful. You may not be as good as you want. You may not be there yet, but be grateful for where you are. Be grateful for what you have. Church boundaries are not a bad thing. In fact, boundaries are an incredible weapon and tool and advancement that Jesus gives us. God gives us boundaries because he's got more in store for us. God gives us boundaries because he wants to get us there. How do we get there? Holy heavens, putting in the boundaries. And the quicker and the sooner I hear the sound, the quicker I course correct, I get to be there. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that even in the times where I've failed and I've missed it and I've had faults, that you continue to make a way for me to get there. God, in the moments where I've been overwhelmed, in the moments where I feel like I couldn't do right, in the moments where I've been so hard on myself, you remind me of your grace and mercy and you so lovingly guide me back to the path you have in store for me. God, as we start this new year off right, we've not paid attention to our boundaries or we've neglected the ones we've already put in place, God, remind us of the path that you have for us. Make clear for us what there is in our life. And God, let's put the boundaries in place to get there. Jesus, I thank you that you made the way. It's in your name we pray.